I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan. Back from Disney World, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we have a good episode for you here because there's a lot to talk about. And I'm going to call this the big year episode because the gist of this is I'm going to go over a list for the players that the Giants most desperately need to have a big year in order for them to get where they want to get to. And that's part of the conversation here is what's going to be considered a success this year. We'll get deeper into that as we go along, but if they, they already set the bar. Brian Dayball in his first year, Joe Shane as general manager. They made the playoffs. They went 9-7-1. and one. They won a playoff game, right? So you go 6-11 and 11 in year two, that's a disappointment. They just signed their quarterback to a huge deal, $40 million a year. That would be a big disappointment for the Giants if they went 6-11. and 8-9, I know a lot of people might consider that a failure too, right? 8-9 and nine after you just made the playoffs and won a playoff game? In a way, that could be a step backwards. Now, I think that's silly approach. Right, It can't all be results-oriented, and I know results are what matter in this game, but process matters too, and I think if the Giants go 8-9, 9-8, it could still be a good year for them. We'll get, to, we'll get to that. That's a conversation we can have later on down the line as we move forward with the season. But in order for them to have big seasons, to me, one of the guys that's near the top of the list is Evan Neal. Okay, And I say Evan Neal because... If they have two, if Evan Neal can make that jump in year two, he played poorly this past year. Gave up sacks, was on the ground a lot as a rookie. Like all the numbers bear. Sacks allowed, a pass rush, uh, pass block win rate, you name it, PFF grade, all below average. So Evan Neal, who was the seventh overall pick out of Alabama, didn't play great. Now, I spoke to Willie Anderson, who worked with him this offseason. I'll have a story on this coming out next week. And Willie Anderson talked about how the first thing he noticed is he didn't look comfortable in his stance. He had trouble with specific rush technique. And it was important for him to have a more compact stance and get out of his stance better. So that was the first thing they did. They worked together for three days back in what late March, right after the Ohio State Pro Day. They worked on his stance. And it was in coordination kind of with Bobby Johnson, the Giants offensive line coach. So everyone was on board with this. And what Willie Anderson told me was that Evan Neal was kind of still playing with a left tackle stance as a left tackle, even though he was playing right tackle. And you could see that when you watched him. So look out for that story. I'll get into it more. But it's pretty self-explanatory why the Giants need Evan Neal to play better. The offensive line still isn't a strength. The interior of the line is still a question mark especially when you consider John Michael Smith, second-round pick, right? You you expect him to be a good player. But as a rookie, you know, if he's an average center, I still think that's a win. So the, the likelihood is he's playing at the same level as John Feliciano and Nick Gates last year. So you're not, you didn't really improve much on the interior. Your chance to improve is at right tackle. So to me, Evan Neal is near the top of the players the Giants need to have a big year in order for them to get where they want to get to. 
Now, I'll do the full list later. But I wanted to touch on the Saquon Barkley situation because we're now into OTAs. Again, voluntary. They're voluntary. Saquon has never signed his tag yet, so he can't even show up if, if he wanted to, to the facility right now. That's just the rule. But it's not that important that Saquon Barkley's there in, what are we, mid-May? Not that important. What is important is that there's a date out there. July 17th. So a little less than two months at this point. They have the two sides to hammer out an agreement. And gun to my head, I would probably say the two sides will end up hammering out an agreement. Now the Giants believe that, yeah, the $10.1 million franchise tag that he's on, that's probably the best deal for them, makes the most financial sense. But they have to take into account whether they want an unhappy Saquon Barkley and Human nature says if they don't pay him here, how is Saquon Barkley going to go in there and be smiling and fully 100% on board and saying, oh, yeah, sure, I'm happy you paid Daniel Jones, you paid uh, Dexter Lawrence, you paid all these free agents, Bobby Okariki, you you re-signed Slayton, but yet Saquon Barkley did not get a new deal that he believes is commensurate with salary for a running back. Now, what is salary for a running back at this point, a high-end running back? Because Austin Eckler was also looking for a new deal. He's got permission to go look for a trade. Of course, it's not out there. Austin Eckler wants a big deal of what he thinks is uh, his value. Now, top running back value, we know Christian McCaffrey, different level, fine, $16 million maybe. But even that next level at this point, the $13 million, the true $13 million, right? 13, 14 million. It's probably not even out there. So Austin Eckler was due $6.25 million this year. It's Tuesday morning, and Adam Schefter this morning reported that he got close to $2 million in incentives added to his deal. So basically, he could get up to eight right now. So eight and a half, sorry, 8.25. Now, Saquon Barkley is getting $10.1 million. So already, that's pretty good. Now, I feel like, and I know people say, oh, he should have taken the $13 million he was offered. It could have been up to $14 million with all these incentives. Yeah, there was a lot of ifs in that contract. There's a lot of ifs. So, you know, it wasn't just, okay, here's guaranteed money. You get $13.5, $14 million, $12, $13, $14.5 million a year. If it was, Saquon Barkley would be signed to it. So in my opinion, after talking to people on both sides over the past few months, there can be a middle ground. And to me, it's as simple as this. Essentially, get, get to a deal that guarantees Saquon Barkley the two franchise tags. You're talking $10.1 million this year, and 100, 120% of that next year would be $12.12 million. So we're talking $22.2 million. Get to a point where the Giants guarantee him $22 million, $22.2 million over two years, and that's likely the best deal that Saquon Barkley is going to be able to get. Now you could add in all kinds of other incentives, Per game roster bonuses, thousand yards rushing. Uh, they make the playoffs if they, you know, win a Super Bowl. All different mechanisms to make the money look bigger. You can add a third and fourth year to make the average years, average per year, look bigger. But the bottom line is Saquon Barkley hasn't seen a deal yet that guarantees him more than the two franchise tags. So if they just get to the point, I believe, where they can guarantee Saquon Barkley the amount of money for the two franchise tags, in my opinion, that would probably be a deal that can work for both sides. 
If you're the Giants, yes, it's above the running back market, but it's two years. They're already paying $10.1 million this year. The Giants are planning to play with Saquon Barkley on $10.1 million. That is abundantly clear. If they decided to trade or cut or whatever Saquon Barkley, if it goes haywire, think about this for a second. This is total hypothetical. But their running back room would be Eric Gray, Matt Breda, and Gary Brightwell. Okay, they still have questions at wide receiver. How do you feel about the Giants' offense with that running back room? So they fully intend to have Saquon Barkley this year. They have planned to have Saquon Barkley. He is not going anywhere. So they're already planning on paying him the $10 million, $10.1 million. And they're fine with that. So why not just commit and guarantee him one more year? And I think if they do, that'll be a middle ground that Saquon has to accept. Because there's no better deal out there for him right now. His best deals right now are the franchise tag. Now, you could say if you're Saquon Barkley, well, I may just play out the two for the franchise tag this year. And if I play so well, they won't they'll want to give me the franchise tag again next year. So I'm going to get the 20. million, $22.2 million. Okay, that's fine. But now he's playing with the risk. What happens if he gets injured this year? See ya. What happens if he doesn't have a great year? What happens if the Giants just decide, you know what? We can't make that investment next year in running back. So get that guarantee now. Probably the best they're going to be able to do at this point. And if you're the Giants, from that perspective, yes, not ideal financially. You'd rather not pay that to a running back. But you're really just guaranteeing one more year than they are right now. And you're doing it to keep your captain, right, your most respected player in a locker room, happy so you don't have him moping around like he was two years ago. Not that wasn't contract related. That was because he wasn't playing well. Uh, he was banged up, coming off the leg. He just wasn't himself. And you saw it spiraled at the end of that year. Go look at Saquon Barkley running the football. Go look at that team. They went to the tank. I'm talking the last year of Joe Judge. So to keep him happy, there's definitely a benefit to it. Having him unhappy having this hang over the team if they do not reach a deal by July 17th, now all of a sudden you could have something that lingers. It's a question that they're constantly asked all the time. Everyone in the locker room, it doesn't go away. It could hang over Saquon Barkley, and then it could spread to other people in the locker room. That's a possibility. You'd rather not have that. So that's the Saquon Barkley situation. Real quick, the Giants are hiring Ryan Cowden, uh, former executive with the Tennessee Titans, very, very close with Joe Shane. Now, Ryan Cowden is a guy who is a very respected uh, evaluator with the Titans. I believe his title was vice president of uh, personnel. Okay. So he was high up on the totem pole. Now, I had heard back, I don't know, months ago that watch out for Ryan Cowden joining, joining the Giants. But the thing was, he was under contract, had a very good relationship with Mike Vrabel, and Vrabel in Tennessee wanted to keep him. Okay. So since Cowden was under contract, it looked like he was going to stay there. After the draft, Rand Carton, their new GM, decided, you know what, it's best to move on. And so then Ryan Cowden had options. Among them, from what I heard, was the Bills. Obviously, the relationship with Brandon Bean, who is uh, the mentor of Joe Shane. But there was other teams out there. So Ryan Cowden had options. But he is really close with Joe Shane. And so his title is going to be something like special advisor or senior advisor to the general manager, something like that. But you're talking about someone that Joe Shane trusts implicitly, right? A guy who was, they were in each other's wedding parties, okay? That's how close they are. They grew up together in the Carolina Panthers organization. Uh, So executive advisors is what it's going to be to the general manager is what Ryan Cowden is likely going to be. And to have his input now on personnel 
I think is huge. Just adds to that front office. Ryan Cowden's a guy from people I talk to around the league. They, they, this is a future general manager. Brandon Brown has had success. Oh, obviously, the assistant general manager in Philadelphia, now with the Giants. And then you have Dennis Hickey, who's high up on the totem pole. Tim McDonald as well, who's uh, obviously part of ownership, but has been with the Giants for a while and is well-respected as a personnel evaluator. So that's the Giants' front office structure as of now. Uh, the rookies are pretty much all signed. The Giants have gotten that done. The only one left, I believe, is Deontay Banks, Jalen Hyatt. Uh, sorry, it's John Michael Schmidt. So Deontay Banks and Jalen Hyatt got their deals done last week. So, look, the holdout days are pretty much over anyway. But just to get them done and have them done in the spring, it's nice uh, that your financials in order. The Giants are where they are right now. I uh, will we'll get more into that in a pre in a in a future episode and like who they could possibly add. But the only one out there to watch right now is John Michael Schmidt. So now let's get to the players the Giants need to have a big year. I made a list here. I went over it. and it obviously starts with Daniel Jones because he's the quarterback. He got a massive deal. This team cannot be good if Daniel Jones does not play as well or better than last year. And that's still in question of whether he's going to do that. Now, Guys like Andrew Thomas, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, I didn't put on this list because I think we kind of know what we're getting from them at this point. Saquon, I didn't put on this list either. Uh, we know he's a good player. You know, you don't need your running back to be amazing for the team to be good, right? He's been amazing before early in his career, and the team stunk. They have more weapons now. So, but they can't survive if Daniel Jones does not have a big year. Like if Daniel Jones has a subpar year, toss in the towel, this team's going to stink. They're going to be bad. They're going to go 6-11. and 11. They're not going to be a good team. They need Daniel Jones to be a good quarterback, a high-end quarterback, an upper echelon quarterback, meaning like top half of the league. He needs to be a top 16 quarterback, at the very least. In order for this team to make the playoffs, they need him to be a top 10 quarterback. So that's why he's number one on my list. They can't, they can't do 15 touchdown passes again. They added more weapons for him. They're going to need more from Daniel Jones. Stat-wise, they're going to need him to play as well or better than last year. But number two on the list is who I said before, Evan Neal. Because it's going to be hard for Daniel Jones to get there, to be that much better, if Evan Neal isn't that guy, if he doesn't make that step, make that jump in year two. He can't be a total liability like he was last season. He cannot. You cannot have Evan Neal being a total liability on the right side because they're not strong enough on the interior of the Giants. So they already have weaknesses on the interior of the line. They can't also have a weakness on the, at the right tackle spot. Cannot. Tyree Phillips outplayed Evan Neal last, most of the last season. Let's be fair. 100%. Tyree Phillips, say, let me say that again, outplayed Evan Neal last year. There's not, there's not really much a way to talk around that. The naked eye told us that. So having Evan Neal play at an average to above average level as a right tackle, now all of a sudden makes the Giants offense better. It makes their running game better. It makes Daniel Jones feel more comfortable and just makes them a significantly better offensive line. That's the spot where they can improve the most on the offensive line this year. They didn't make a lot of moves at the offensive line. Think about it. Basically, the only move of note was signing or, sorry, drafting John Michael Smith in the second round. Now, maybe they make another addition later on, add depth to the, the interior of the offensive line. I think that's possible, but not imminent at the moment. Number three on the list is Kayvon Thibodeau because 
if Kayvon Thibodeau can take his game to the next level, think about how much better that makes the Giants' defense. If you're adding a guy who could be a double-digit sack guy, right? They need him to be that guy because can you really trust? How much can you trust Aziz Ojolari? He's been injured the last two seasons, so I'm not. Yes, it would be great if he had a big year, but I think that's less realistic. You're talking about the number five overall pick last year. Flashed at times, he had four, four and a half sacks, something like that, his rookie year. Kayvon Thibodeau, which is fine as a rookie, I guess, but they you you need more. You need him to be that double-digit sack type of guy. The guy who's going to demand double teams. Because if you have Kayvon Thibodeau needing double teams, you know, how are you going to deal with Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams in the interior? They become better. The secondary, which is questionable and still has holes, is going to become better. As much as we like De- Deontay Banks, that's a tough position to succeed at in year one. He's going to have his rough moments. He's going to have his up and downs. Odori Jackson, my opinion, really good number two, not a bona fide number one. So if you let quarterbacks just sit back there, they'll tear this defense apart. Cordero Flott, Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes all come with serious question mark. Second safety spot next to Xavier McKinney, question mark. But if you have Kayvon Thibodeau playing at a really high level, now all of a sudden you have a good high-end pass rush because Dexter Lawrence is a, is a beast. Leonard Williams is a good player. Aziz Ojolari is going to give you something on the other side, assuming he's healthy. Like he He's a he could give you stuff as a pass rusher, no doubt. Now, all of a sudden, your defense is so much better overall. Now, next on my list is Adoree Jackson. Because I know they drafted Deontay Banks. My expectations of him in year one, now, does it make them better for the future? Absolutely. But year one, like Deontay Banks, how much better is he in year one as a rookie than Fabian Moreau? Probably not much. Probably comparable on-field performance. A rookie late first-round pick for a veteran who actually played pretty well last year, who was an average cornerback last year. So you're probably not getting a huge upgrade there in year one. Now, the hope is that he develops into a high-end number one cornerback probably year two or three is when you expect that, that to see that on the field. But he's going to take his lumps as a rookie. So it's that much more important that A, Adoree Jackson stays healthy, and B, Adoree Jackson plays at a high level like he did two years ago. Because... How are you going to shut down A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, C.D. Lamb? Uh, who else do the Giants play this year? They play the Seahawks and that you know trio of receivers they have over there now with D.K. Lockett and Jackson Smith and the Jigba. Uh, the Giants play the AFC East, right? You got Stephon Diggs, Garrett Wilson, Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Waddell. So they're going to be playing some really good receivers out there. Having a J- Dory Jackson play at a really high level is mandatory for this team. Because let's say he's injured, out, or just not playing well. You, What do you want to put, Deontay Banks as a rookie and say go lock down Stefan Diggs? How do you think that's going to work out? Let me tell you, probably not well. So huge amount of pressure on Adoree Jackson. Also personally, he's in the final year of his deal. He's been very injury prone throughout his career. Missed a lot of time last year again with a knee injury. Adoree Jackson doesn't play this year. Who's going to invest in Adoree Jackson as a free agent, right? Who, who, if he has another injury-filled year or if he doesn't have a good year this year? He's going to end up getting a one-year deal if that's the case. So it's a big year for him personally as well. And then next on the list, I went with Darren Waller. Now, I was thinking about Paris Campbell because I think the Giants need a receiver to kind of step up and be uh, the alpha receiver, at least to the degree that they can be. This isn't a group that probably has an alpha right now. Jalen Hyatt is a rookie. Got Paris Campbell 
who I think the Giants really like can be a difference maker. Isaiah Hodgins, but what's his ceiling? Had a good year last year, but was you know half the even half a year. But really, what's his ceiling? So to me, I went with Darren Waller because he's the guy. If Darren Waller has a big year, he takes that offense to the next level, right? If he's that number one receiver, that alpha receiver, it takes this offense to the next level. That's why they traded for him, and it's in the realm of possibilities because he's done it before. Again, the problem here is. He hasn't done it now in a couple of years because of injuries. So we'll see. I also, uh, I thought about it, Xavier McKinney, because I just, I think an all pro type player is in there. We haven't seen it so far. So he's been a good player. He hasn't been a great player. But that to me is a position that just, that doesn't elevate the team to another level like Darren Waller would if he's their number one receiver or Paris Campbell if he blossoms into a thousand yard receiver. Not that I'm expecting that. I think that's, probably wishful thing. But Darren Waller, he could definitely do that. So to me, he was next on the list. He's number five on that list. Guy that Daniel Jones can trust, throw the ball up, make tough catches, and make big plays, make yards after the catch. And that's what this offense is going to try and do. Similar to what they had in Buffalo, right? Brian Dayball and Joe Shane. A lot of crossing routes, quick underneaths, get guys the ball, let them go, let them work, get them in favorable matchups, move them around the formations. A lot of bunch formations. Get the defense confused. Get Darren Waller into space. We haven't seen that much from Daniel Jones. I think that's been one area where, and I'll look at the numbers at some point. Deep down the middle of the field, Daniel Jones has not done a lot of damage throughout his career, especially the last, especially last year. Just wasn't a big part of Daniel Jones's game. Now Darren Waller should change that. So, the players the Giants need to have a big year. The player the Giants most need to have a big year. Daniel Jones, Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, Adoree Jackson, Darren Waller. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me. Tell me I'm wrong. You can't. On to the next one. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ah, uh, yes, it's that time. Your favorite part of the podcast, where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. We got a five spot here. No question number one, JP says, what are the main storylines you're looking to take away from OTAs? A second question is, where do you believe the most depth is on this team? Yeah, I, first of all, I want to see how this offense looks, right? What are they going to do with Darren Waller? Who are the wide receivers that they look at as their top options at this point? What can this offense look like? How are they going to integrate all these new pieces, right? So to me, 
That's what I'm looking at. That's one of the main storylines of OTAs, of course. Then there's the Saquon Barkley situation. Uh, how's that going to play out? Are the Giants going to negotiate with him anytime here in the next month or two? Will they come to an agreement? Uh, and also, you know, kind of the whole idea of what kind of effect is it going to have on the team? Although I don't see much in the spring. It's not a problem until the summer. But still, uh, whether they plan to have Saquon Barkley for training camp or not, I think is what we'll find out here at some point, probably by the end of OTAs. Uh, who wears the green dot on defense? Is it Xavier McKinney? Is it the safety position? Uh, the Giants wanted to do that last year, but, but they brought in Bobby Okereke. Okereke, sorry, pronounced it wrong. Okereke is how you pronounce it, I believe. We'll try and, uh, you know what? We're going to try and talk to him later in the week, so that would be interesting to see about the green dot, how to pronounce his name, where else he almost signed. So Bobby Okereke, I think, is going to start with the green dot here. Um, but we'll see if that's the long-term plan. Maybe they alternate it. Who knows? So who is the leader of this defense? Uh, who's going to call the plays? I think that's important. The left guard position, who, the Gi- who do the Giants have? Do they envision Josh Azudu as their starting left guard right now? I think that's a possibility. You know, I think it should be Ben Ben Bredesen. He was their best guard last year. Maybe they look at Ben Bredesen as a potential right guard. You know, who said Mark Lewinsky's spot is locked in. So these are all things we're going to watch. And John Michael Schmidt, do they throw him right into the mix? Is he the first string center from, you know, the get-go here? We'll find out later this week. I'll have an episode after, like, just sort of a quick OTA recap. You know what? Well, uh, maybe we'll do it here, or maybe we'll even do it on uh, YouTube. So uh, keep your keep your eyes and ears open for that. We'll try to see what we come up with from OTAs, and then which is the most the most depth? I will say wide receiver, and I know you say wide receiver. They stunk at wide receiver last year, but they got a lot of bodies now, a lot of guys that we think can play. That doesn't mean they have a number one, but just sheer depth wise, I don't think the Giants are very deep at many positions, if at all, right? They could probably use another edge rusher. They could probably use another veteran defensive lineman, if you ask me. Their secondary is very questionable at cornerback still because we don't know about a lot of these guys. And Dory Jackson has an injury history. And also the safety position, who even starts next to uh, Xavier McKinney. I believe Jason Pinnock will have a good shot there. He'll probably be the front runner. And Dane Belton will get a chance for sure. But, yeah. So... To me, in the offensive line, we know there's not a ton of depth there. There's a lot of question marks. So to me, wide receiver, amazingly, has the best depth. Doesn't mean they have the best high-end players, but they have the best depth. Uh, We'll go to Instagram. Mark Zerla asks, this is a long question about Adoree Jackson, so I'm going to have to pare it down a little bit. Any word on an Adoree extension? Giants are entering a competitive window and still have lots of roster needs, but CB is towards the top even after Tay Banks. Does it make sense to lock down a Dory for two to three more years? There have been a lot, lots of talk about Leonard Williams, but less about a Dory. If you don't extend him, you're either gambling in the draft or looking to find, find another free agent that can play well in wing system. Okay, I'm going to cut it off there. So, no. Here's the number of missed games for Dory Jackson in the last four seasons. So this is why I find it hard to believe the Giants want to really extend to Dory Jackson. He's missed five games, 14 games, four games, and seven games. Okay. That's a tough investment to make. You need him to go out there and play 17 games this season. 
then maybe you could talk about an extension. But right now, I would be stunned if the Giants extend for Adoree Jackson. I, I just, it's hard for me to see that at this point. You say, well, you know, aside from Banks, what else do they have? Well, they're going to find out this year is Aaron Robinson even a player, right? What can they get out of Cordell Flott? Nick McLeod's a guy. We haven't heard his name much at all this offseason. He's kind of fallen under the radar. He did some good things for them last year. So the, any of these young guys, which one of them can step up, which one of them can kind of pop, I think that's what they're hoping to see this year, hoping Banks grows into a bigger role and one of these other guys proves that they're capable starters and all of a sudden, there you go. You got your two starters for the future. If not, if Adore stays healthy and plays really well, you think about something at the end of the year or even in the offseason. Kevin P. Donahue says, are the Giants plus McKinney on good terms and do they view him as a long-term piece? Yes, I do believe the Giants believe that Xavier McKinney is a long-term piece. They want him to be a centerpiece of this offense, right? They want him to be one of the main pieces, one of the main cogs. Think about it. Last year, they gave him the green dot. They wanted him to be that guy. They viewed him as a guy who has the talent. Now, he made a silly decision on his bye week, derailed his season, yet they've still been behind him. So I think that shows you where the Giants stand. And Xavier McKinney doesn't have the ground to stand on and give the Giants a hard time because he's the one who screwed up last year, right? He's the one who went out and broke his own hand and crushed his own hand on the bye week and cost him part of the season, really hurt the Giants team. So he doesn't have a leg to stand on at this point. None. So he can't be mad at the team. Oh, yeah, you're not paying me as a top safety. Why? You didn't play as a top safety last year. And you didn't even play part of last year because you made a stupid, dopey decision. So Xavier McKinney and them are on fine terms, but he also doesn't have the leverage or ground to stand on and say, pay me. Pay me as a top safety. Go out and prove you could play as a top safety. Prove you're an all-pro type safety. He hasn't proven that. He's barely proven he's a top 10 safety. He's proven he's a good player. But I don't even think he's proven he's a top 10 safety in the league. Now we hired David Mulligetta, who's good at getting guys paid, especially at that safety market. So it's not going to be cheap because he is a good player. So it'll be an interesting as they move along here. We're just not at that point. Uh, Joe Barton, Joseph Bartikus says, favorite Disney park ride. So we were talking about this. I was talking about this with my daughter. I was ranking the ride. So I'd never been on Space Mountain in my life. So it's pretty high, probably higher on the list than most expect. But I like Tron. That was the best ride there. Awesome ride. Avatar, I thought was amazing. It really does feel like you're flying. It's one of those virtual reality things where the floor drops out, but you 100% think you're flying. And number three to me was Space Mountain. It's pretty cool. The idea that you have no idea where you're going and when you're turning is pretty fascinating. And now these are all, for the most part, and I'm not the biggest roller coaster guy in the world, but my daughter likes them. So if she wants to go on them, I'll go on them with her. I get off. I'm a little dizzy afterwards. You know, got to get my equilibrium straight. But uh, then I like Thunder Mountain. And what's the, uh, the the Toy Story Mania is a great ride. I know it's, that's like more like a shooting fun ride, but that's that's a great one. You always have fun on it. So, uh, and this is only like my what, third time in my life ever going to Disney. So I'm not like a Disney expert. And then ACL Terror said, where do we stay at? We stayed at the Yacht Club. Great place. Awesome place. Loved it there. Great location. You can basically walk to Epcot. You take a, a little boat to uh, uh, Hollywood. Um, so the Yacht Club was a dynamite place. And the pool's there. It's connected to the boardwalk. Uh, 
hotel also. The, uh, sorry, the beach hotel. It's like basically one pool area, huge pool area, like four or five pools, lazy river, slide, everything the kids can want. Come back in the middle of the day. Chef's Kiss was a, a great, great place to stay. Uh, now, of course, as a Disney employee, it's a lot more cost effective to be able to go there. I have per- We have permanent full-time passes to get into the parks, me, the wife, and three, three guests, two of those being our kids. And then, you know, you get discounts on most of the stuff there and hotels and this and that. And the perk of working for Disney when you go there. So we had to go there. We've actually only been there once before. We went in 2016. It was before my son was even born. And so now we need, took seven years in between, even though we have the free passes. COVID kind of threw a wrench into that. So I had to get back there. And it was worth a great trip. I mean, it's one of those things you got you to check off, especially if you have kids. Got to take them to this. Now, if you're only going once, you, like me, you, like not like me, and I have passes, so it's a lot more cost effective. Like if you're only going to go once in your life and it's an experience, got to wait till your kids are old enough to be able to remember. My opinion. Actually, that's a no-brainer. Take them before you're wasting your money. Uh, last question. Jeff McGuire 3 says, how likely is it the league is going to stick it to the Giants for squawking about Thursday night flex games? By taking a Sunday home game and moving the Thursday, choices are A, yes, and B, definitely. Actually, the answer is C. I'll add that. Very, very unlikely. Number one, I don't believe that's the way it works. They want to put good games on. They don't give a, they're not trying to screw the Giants. They want to put games that are, are going to be popular on TV. So if the Giants were really good, they would do it. The thing is, here's the situation. The Giants' last five games, okay, so late in the season, they play Monday night against the Packers already, so that's a primetime game, so they're not going to flex that game, okay? Two weeks later, they play on Christmas Monday against the Eagles, so that game's not getting flexed either, right? So that's two of the last five you could basically eliminate. Now, the game in between those, you know, week 18, they don't even, they, there's no Thursday, so we're scratching that. Week 14, they play the Saints in New Orleans. Okay, that's a game you could possibly see getting flexed if both teams are good. But the Saints are already scheduled for Thursday the next week. The Giants are primetime the week before and the week after. So I have a hard time seeing them doing it there. The Rams game in week uh, 16 is the one that you could say, okay, maybe they do that game. But the, the Giants, they can't because the Giants are already playing on Monday the week before. So now you're talking about Monday to Thursday game. They're not going to do that. And then the final game, actually week 18. Sorry, I'm messing up the week. That's week 17, the Rams. Week 18, they're playing the Eagles. They don't do week 18 games. So basically, the Giants aren't going to get flexed into this new Thursday night game. It's not going to happen. And it's more uh, situational than anything else. It's nothing to do with either the Giants. Their name is the the Giants, the Bears, the Eagles, or the uh, Jayhawks, right? Or the Disneys, whatever you want to call them. You can make up any name you want. The suitcases, I'm sitting here looking at a suitcase in front of my face. That's why I said that. But it seems very unlikely that any of the giant games this season get are one of those that get flexed to a late season Thursday night game because they already have so many uh, flex games. And when you're on Monday, then you're not going to be Thursday the next day, so you can rule out that following week. And so really the only chance is that Saints game and the Saints actually play are scheduled right now on Thursday night. So if the Saints are any good, they're probably going to stay in that spot on week uh, 16. I had my weeks wrong before. That's week 16. The Giants play the week, the Saints in week 15. Anyway, on to the next one. 
All right, let's wrap up this episode with a little quick Jordan on the beat. This is where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants work for ESPN or cover the NFL in general. And we're now in phase three of the offseason program. We're getting close to the end right now, right? We're, we're talking about uh, less than a month now before uh, summer break, really, where everybody goes off and goes on their own and goes on vacation and takes some time off. I'm talking like everybody, like reporters, uh, coaches, GMs, front office, medical staff, players, everybody. Like basically the first few weeks of July are off in the NFL. The building shut down at times. So um, let's see. Now we're talking about we're in phase three of the offseason program. That means OTAs. No live contact is permitted, but they do seven on seven drills, nine on seven drills, 11 on 11 drills. So they're actually doing some form of practicing. Now everyone's not there. Still voluntary. Voluntary. Like I don't believe I saw a video on, on Instagram. Looks like Dexter Lawrence still isn't there. I don't know if Leonard Williams is there. He was catching tunas in Florida this past weekend. So voluntary, not that not mandatory, especially for veterans like that. Nobody's losing sleep if they're missing some days or doing things at home. Leonard Williams is actually training. I mean, uh, Dexter Lawrence was actually training in Miami in the video. Now, maybe it was a video from the other day. Who knows? Doesn't matter. Point is, OTAs, we're going to be out there as the media. We get one day a week, basically, for the next three weeks. And then there's the mandatory mini camp. We're there for two days. We get to two days. So we get to watch five practices. Five practices. So we'll see how that goes. Five days of practice. And then we'll be able to report to you some little things, disregard anything about how who's playing great on the offensive line, defensive line, no tackling, no live contact, but we will get a peek. So we will get to see a few things here in the next few weeks of uh, what the Giants look like for the 2023 season. I'll get us excited for the summer and then training camp is when it really starts. That's, we don't have dates yet, but that's usually around the, end of July, really early August. So like right around that July, August uh, turnaround right there is when things will kick into high gear. That's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, like, subscribe, tell your friends, reach out to me, questions, send me questions all the time. I do my best to answer them. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, email, you know where to find me. I'm your host, Jordan Radon. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time. <laughs>